You're listening to the Catholic Fragments Podcast, where we explore the treasures of Catholicism, the fullness of truth revealed in Jesus Christ and His Church. I'm your host, Dr. Donald Wallenfang, and I invite you to join me in gathering up the fragments of the truth that sets us free. Psalm 51, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, God, in accord with your merciful love, and your abundant compassion blot out my transgressions. Thoroughly wash away my guilt, and from my sin cleanse me, for I know my transgressions, my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your eyes, so that you are just in your word and without reproach in your judgment. Behold, I was born in guilt. In sin, my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire true sincerity, and secretly you teach me wisdom. Cleanse me with hyssop, that I may be pure. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. You will let me hear gladness and joy. The bones you have crushed will rejoice. Turn away your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. A clean heart create for me, O God. Renew within me a steadfast spirit. Do not drive me from before your face nor take from me your Holy Spirit. Restore to me the gladness of your salvation. Uphold me with the willing spirit. I will teach the wicked your ways, that sinners may return to you. Rescue me from violent bloodshed, God, my saving God, and my tongue will sing joyfully of your justice. Lord, you will open my lips, and my mouth will proclaim your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or I would give it. A burnt offering you would not accept. My sacrifice, O God, is a contrite spirit. A contrite, humbled heart, O God, you will not scorn. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. St. Augustine, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome everyone to this episode of the Catholic Fragments Podcast. I'm Dr. Donald Wallenfang. And today this episode is dedicated to St. Augustine, especially concentrating on his classic theological spiritual work called the Confessions. And when St. Augustine speaks of confession, he means a twofold confession. Not only confession of sin, but also confession of praise. 
And this we heard in the opening prayer of Psalm 51, this Psalm of David, a very penitential psalm that is featured in morning prayer of Liturgy of the Hours every Friday. And in this psalm we hear both a confession of sin and a confession of praise, the confession of sin that leads to the confession of praise. A great problem with sin is it steals away our time in praising God. When we sin, we're not praising God, we're not glorifying God, but we're subtracting from that primary vocation to give praise to God. We're created to praise the Lord because our being is received being, and we must praise the source, the origin, the destiny of our very being. St. Augustine is a master at confession. He knows it very well, and he knows how these two forms of confession are meant to hold together in a great unity. From the very first paragraph of his classic work, The Confessions, St. Augustine writes this. I'll read it in the original Latin and then give the English translation. He says, Tu excitas ut laudare te delectet, quia fecisti nos ad te et inquietum est cor nostrum, donec requiescat in te. Very famous line from the Confessions of St. Augustine. You stir man to take pleasure in praising you, because you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. So he begins the confessions and sustains his confessions with, with a direct prayer to God. This is the classic line. You stir us, you excite us, you rouse us to take pleasure in praising you, O God. Because you have made us for yourself, and our heart is restless. Cor nostrum est inquietum, until it rests in you. The goal, the purpose of this life is to rest in God, this requiem in God. God created us for this and for this purpose. And we struggle to find that final destination all along the way. Especially in the culture in which we live today that we call post-modernity and now uh, emerging post-pandemic world, it can be very difficult to enter the rest of God in the information overload and a saturation of so many things and yet a great fragmentation of existence we find in our being. This, I think, is one of the best words to describe the postmodern condition, fragmentation, fragmentation of meaning, of relationships, of belief, of reason, of everything. So I want to share a bit from a new publication that I co-edited with Dr. John Cavardini from the University of Notre Dame. And this book is called Motown Evangelization, Sharing the Gospel of Jesus in a Detroit Style. And I'm just going to share a little bit from the chapter 
that I contributed to this volume that features many great essays from different scholars around the United States. Just want to share an excerpt from this chapter that has more to say about St. Augustine and this notion of the twofold confession, confession of sin, confession of praise. So going back to this passage from the very first paragraph of his Confessions. Inquietum est cor nostrum, disquieted is our heart. This is exactly how we should describe the cardiological malaise of the postmodern condition. Disquieted hearts in a foreign land. For we have been inexorably exiled from ourselves, from our God, and from one another. We yearn for a return, a reprisal, a reunification of hearts gathered around the sacred heart of Jesus. Only the sacred heart of the God-man could cure the congenital heart failure of this postmodern scene. It is not more solitude and isolation apart from each other that we need to grant us peace, but what we need is more communion, participation, fellowship, fraternity. St. Paul uses the Greek word koinonia. Yet how would we achieve this communion of persons if we are left unreconciled with one another and with God? It would remain impossible without reconciliation. And what is the route of reconciliation? None other than confession of sin and confession of praise. The time of conversion is the time of confession. This is what St. Augustine teaches us in his Confessions. Contemporary Catholic philosopher Jean-Luc Marion reminds us that for St. Augustine, his confessio is twofold. Again, confession of sins and confession of praise. If a person desires reconciliation, that is, to quote the poet Walt Whitman, to launch forth filament, 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 out of itself, ever unreeling them, ever tirelessly speeding them in measureless oceans of space. Then one must confess his or her personal sins, as well as the praise to God that is due. Quoting and commenting on the confessions of St. Augustine, Jean-Luc Marion again argues along with him that confession joins us to Christ. For confession itself, namely the first thought, already performs in us the rest of thought. The first thought possesses the confession. Here confession, and in the sense of confessio, appears as first thought, prima cogitatio. The first thought thinks insofar as it confesses. Why does confession appear as the first thought? as prima cogitatio. It is because confession is the most necessary thought and the first-person narrative is the most immediate, transparent, and ready thought. For what first thought do I think that does not immediately reverberate with what my heart feels? I can pretend to bracket all of my most vigilant, valiance, longings, hurts, disappointments, discontents, joys, sorrows, hopes, fears, and passions, but this attempt to bracket all of that only confirms its urgency all the more. 
to think with Rene Descartes, cogito ergo sum, I think therefore I am, no rather confessio ergo sum, I confess therefore I am. Thought is expressed in speech, and without speech thought lacks clarity and definition. Verbal concrete confession opens the cognitive space of clarity necessary for gathering up the fragments of broken lives. Interpersonal mending happens to the measure that the hidden and overt acts of violent fragmentation are owned and announced, only then to be disowned and renounced. Confession and renunciation of sin is indispensable for reconciling oppositional fragments of being. For St. Augustine, it was necessary to face his demons by confessing his sinful prodigality in Book Two of the Confessions, the book that has come to be known as his Book of Shadows. Without owning up to one's personal sins, and without ceasing to project blame on everyone else for their guilty faults, no reconciliation is possible. In contrast to confession, fragmented ideologies blame someone else for all of the problems at hand. What perpetuates the walls of division between the fragments that we are and the fragments of our broken lives is the obstinate refusal to confess. By confessing our sins, we admit that there is a problem and we identify what is in need of healing. I am the one responsible for the fragmentation of my people and my culture. This I must confess with assurance, for it is true. Because of my moral dereliction, the fragmentation continues. I need only to review the course of my life over the past few weeks to discover the certitude of this statement. So, what do I do now? confess once again. However, it is not only the confession of sins that brings everything back together. If we stop short at the confession of sins alone, we may only become more infuriated with one another. Do not my sins infuriate you? Do not your sins infuriate me? How could I be so stupid? How could you be so ignorant? In addition to confessing our sins to one another and praying for one another that we may be healed, to quote from the letter of St. James, we must praise the Lord our God together to seal the process of reconciliation. Why is this so? It is because one of our most grotesque collective sins is our failure to give praise where praise is due. This is the worst deprivation of justice, and the most heinous amnesia of creaturely purpose. Going back to St. Augustine's passage, Quia fecisti nos ad te, because you have made us for yourself, O Lord. This we have forgotten, and to the extent that we have forgotten our ultimate purpose, we remain fragmented. If the fragments are to be gathered together by the filaments, will this not be something new? to read from the book of the prophet Isaiah. See, I am doing something new. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? In the wilderness I make a way. In the wasteland, rivers, wild beasts honor me. 
jackals, and ostriches. For I put water in the wilderness and rivers in the wasteland for my chosen people to drink. The people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. If jackals and ostriches can praise the Lord, why can't I? For this I was created, to praise his holy name. So what is to be done? Asks St. Paul. I will pray with the spirit, but I will also pray with the mind. I will sing praise with the spirit, but I will also praise with the mind. Once again, confession is the prima cogitatio, the first thought, both as confession of sin and as confession of praise. Through this dual confession of sin and praise, I tell my story of being saved by my Savior. And herein we find the medicine for postmodernism, namely, in-person community. Both confession of praise cannot be performed by isolated persons, both confession of sin and praise, but only by persons in presence and proximate communion with one another. In St. Augustine's Confessions, the praise is extended from the ego, the self, to the community of readers, or at least of those who accept the call to praise. It is carried out, in the end, in a church. Moreover, that praise can constitute a place, the place for the hermeneutic of the confessions, the interpretive lens of the confessions, should not be surprising. It is also a city, of which one becomes a citizen only by carrying out in truly believing it, this very praise, which consists only in saying this, that God certainly is worthy of praise. Therefore, church and city, these are the places of praise. This is the place of praise where church and city are united in a complementary symphony of praise. Since praise is a twofold dynamism, both interior and exterior, it must breathe with the two lungs of the church, that is, interiority and the city, exteriority. Praise circulates like blood in our veins. As one homeless man on the streets of Chicago assured me before, the praise goes up and the blessings come down. Praise circulates according to the circadian rhythm of to and from, of contraction and expansion. This is the harmonious meter of the heart, systolic and diastolic pulsation, centrifugal and centripetal cadence. Praise is at once ethically bound and contemplatively oriented. According to the logic of Christian confession, an intentionality of praise prevails over and against all that would disturb the soul daily. Praise, therefore, is able to reel in the postmodern distension of fragments into the sheltering bark of the church, an unsinkable ship with both anchor and sail. To quote the ancient Latin expression, tunditur non submergitur. The boat of St. Peter is tossed but not submerged. Once caught in the net of the church by the filaments of faith, 
the healed soul is catapulted into the city to invite so many other fragments of fear to taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the stalwart one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy ones. Nothing is lacking to those who fear him. To quote from Psalm 34. And this is the paradox, that for the one who fears the Lord, all other elusive fears are abated. Why are you terrified, O you of little faith, says Jesus in the Gospel of St. Matthew chapter 8. The church gives calm to the city that never sleeps because she introduces the master who is fast asleep in the stern of the boat. If contemplation accompanies our busyness, even busyness is enveloped in rest. As Jesus says, my father is always working, and so am I. St. Augustine's Confessions lead us to a place of communal encounter where confession of sin and confession of praise form the bookends of conversion by mending back together a fragmented and distended existence. The more sin is confessed and renounced, the more contemplation and praise are addressed and pronounced. The fragmentary babble of Babel is exchanged for the fiery holocaust of Pentecost. And to move toward the conclusion, we think of what Pope Francis observes in his 2013 apostolic exhortation, Evangelii Gaudium, the joy of the gospel, where he says it is curious that God's revelation tells us that the fullness of humanity and of history is realized in a city. We need to look at our cities with a contemplative gaze, a gaze of faith which sees God dwelling in their homes, in their streets and squares. So through a contemplative gaze of praise, the fragments of life are validated in themselves and reorganized in relation to a greater redemptive whole. Effective pastoral ministry in postmodern culture must begin with this contemplative gaze, able to say with St. Ignatius of Loyola, to see God in all things. By noticing God's presence active in every corner of the city, the contemplative pastoral minister collaborates with this divine activity. To quote St. Augustine again, When people see things with the help of your spirit, O Lord, it is you who are seeing them. It is incredible to realize that God delights to gaze upon his world through our own eyes and thereby to transform it. By willing the good of the other, the good of the other just might come about. This is the power of God at work in and through us. Again, in writing to encourage the disenchanted and fatigued deacon Deo Gratias toward a rejuvenated catechetical mystery, ministry, St. Augustine urges him on by exhorting, If our understanding finds its delight within, in the brightest of secret places, let it also delight in the following insight into the ways of love. The more love goes down in a spirit of service into the ranks of the lowliest people, the more surely it rediscovers the quiet that is within 
when its good conscience testifies that it seeks nothing of those to whom it goes down, but their eternal salvation. And that is assuredly what is meant by the disinterested, passionate love manifest and taught to us by Christ Jesus. This is a love that refuses to use people as a means to some mean and personal end, but rather regards every human being as an ultimately dignified purpose in himself or herself. Finally, St. Augustine concludes his confessions by contemplating the eternal Sabbath rest of the blessed known as heaven, where he writes, As for ourselves, we see the things you have made, O God, because they are, but they are because you see them. Of your gift we have some good works, though not everlasting. After them we hope to rest in your great sanctification. The peace of quietness, the peace of the Sabbath, a peace with no evening. When we look at our world, with a contemplative gaze, God is seeing the world through us and recreating it. When I look, for example, upon the abandoned, rundown building with a contemplative gaze, I lend a visual sacramental conduit for the Holy Spirit to be channeled in that place. The contemplative gaze itself is redemptive because it is oriented around the Orient, the Subsolanus, that is the kingdom of God, and not around any nation of this world. The contemplative gaze is always a personal, life-giving gaze. It bears within itself transcendence, all the while approaching the world with concentrated imminence. The Augustinian Pope Benedict XVI puts it this way, Seen with the eyes of Christ, I can give to others much more than their outward necessities. I can give them the look of love which they crave. This, again, is the divine potency of the contemplative gaze. Christ looks out at the world through my own eyes. Through my eyes, through my entire body, the uncreated love of Jesus Christ gives birth to a world redeemed, just as blood and water gushed forth from his pierced side to give birth to the sacrament of salvation that is the Catholic Church. To quote St. Paul once again from his second letter to the Corinthians, But we hold this treasure in earthen vessels, that the surpassing power may be of God and not from us, as we look not to what is seen, but to what is unseen. For what is seen is transitory, but what is unseen is eternal. To conclude, if the gaze of Christ is seeing the world through my own contemplative gaze, this implies that my gaze looks beyond what is seen through what is seen, all the way to behold what is not yet seen and eternal, uniting all that is seen to the hidden life of the Most Holy Trinity as a sacramental chiasm. The contemplative gaze brings about the intertwining between the sacred and the profane according to the saturating dehiscence of the world, using some language of the 20th century phenomenologist Maurice Merleau-Ponty. 
The Requiem Eternum, the eternal rest of heaven, breaks through the mundane monotony of supply and demand by virtue of the contemplative gaze. As the final cause of confession, the Requiem Eternum, the eternal rest, reorients souls toward their divinely intended destiny and supplies the necessary motivation for sustaining so many unpredictable adventures in ministry. So thank you for listening along with me in a bit more extended podcast, the Catholic Fragments podcast, working together to gather up the fragments of our postmodern condition, much like the Apostle gathered up the fragments left over after Jesus multiplied the loaves and fish to feed the multitude of his beloved children. Thank you for joining me on the Catholic Fragments podcast, where you are equipped to think toward the whole, to pray from the heart, and to live as a witness. <laughs>